0: Can we get going, hit the clock, uh, type me over, do all that kind of stuff? All right. Okay. And tell me that I'm ready. I can't see anything. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. All right. Did I say all right enough? <laughs> all right. One more time. All right. If. <laughs> it's like a tick. All right. If. <laughs> Did I do it again? <laughs> oh, this is going to be bad. This... Hopefully it won't become like a game, you know. All right. <laughs> that's another one right there <laughs> okay uh i gotta come up with something else uh the okay I'm, see, I'm trying to get over the place where my brain was to say all right okay <laughs> if i were to go to a bunch of people that didn't know the lord and we were to go there and we were to ask them what's your problem with thinking that there is a god What would be the number one response that you would get? And by a a large margin, this kind of stuff is done all the time. By a large margin, what's the number one complaint you're going to get about there being a God? What's that? Yeah. Well, if if God is good, why does all this bad stuff happen? Right? Why does bad things happen? 9-11s and all that kind of stuff. Now, what we say as Christians is we say, no, no, no. You can't blame God for that stuff. Right? I mean, we're in a fallen world. We made a choice to walk out from underneath God's covering, so bad things happen. This is the Ann, by the way, I called her Ruth graham last time, but it's Ann graham which is the daughter of Billy Graham. She's on the CBS morning program. The planes have hit the building at 9-11. She's being interviewed just a few days later, and she gives that just incredible answer, where she says, essentially, she says, you can't blame God for this. You know, we've been shaking our fist, that's the expression she is, we've been shaking our fist at God, telling him to get out of our schools, get out of our politics, get out of our public square, get out of our marketplace, get out of every place in our society, our culture, and our lives, and he has. <laughs> so, you know, we walked out from underneath his covering, and this is what the world looks like when it's not covered. The, God, the world God intended was the garden. This is the world that we're getting as we walk out from underneath. As we, there are consequences to our choices. This is what this looks like. And so she said, you can't blame God for that, right? This is us. We need to repent. Now, that's what we would basically say to somebody that says that. And so our answer to what our problem with God might be would be very different than the world's, right? Actually, it's not. If I were to take everybody in this room and I were to get with you privately and personally, and I was one-on-one with you, and I was to say, just tell me in your deepest place, What's your biggest issue with God? What's your biggest problem? The answer would be something like this. I know that God's got the big stuff. I know that I'm saved. I know that he's there. I mean, how could I ever deny that he's there? If you if come to know the Lord, I mean, his evidence in your life is so great. There's so many things that happen. Miracle after miracle after miracle, 10, 20, 100 things. God does so many things, but the way our human nature is, all the stuff that God did isn't what is in our heart not really There's, or that's in our heart but the stuff that trumps it is the one thing you didn't do or maybe more than one but there was this time when you know I really needed something a health thing or a relational thing or a financial thing I really needed something and I went to the Lord and he, he didn't do it you know person died or or the, this thing fell apart or I ended up in this really tough place and and what it does is it, it shakes us, and it puts us on an uncertain footing. It puts us on a, on a shaky mooring. It puts us in this place to where what we do is we don't really trust him. I mean, we do, because we know he's got the big stuff. And that was a big thing, but, you know, we know he's got, like, salvation, and we know that he's there, but really, you know, there is this fear that I have. Now, if you get down to the bottom of that, see, that's saying basically the same thing. If God's so good, why'd that happen? See? And it causes this to go into a place of fear, a place of lack of trust, a place of anxiety, a place of angst about what's going on. Now, what we're going to do today is that we're going to drive a stake into the heart of that thinking. Now, when I say this, I want you to just think about it in these terms of these Dracula-type movies. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull this off. But... Those Dracula-type movies, you know, where you take the thing that you fear and you drive this wooden stake into the heart and you kill it. And what we're going to try and do today is we're going to try and kill that thought from our hearts forevermore. So having said that, uh, Zach Rogers, man, you, you're you're a man. Okay, so you're praying for the sermon. Uh, thank you, Zach, for all the things that you're doing and, and how things are going, and we're praying for you, okay? You. So go ahead. Father God, we come before you this morning. We thank you for the message that uh, Pastor Kurt has on his heart for us. Uh, we want to lift up this body and uh, specifically Hope Chapel um, in Southern California in Hermosa Praise Beach. We pray for that church right now. We pray that uh, you'd anoint the pastor there. You would um, uh, bring that congregation to a place of better understanding of you. Uh, we just pray for uh, today. We just want you to speak to us, God, more than anything. We want thank what. You, what you have to say to penetrate into our hearts. So we bring this to you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Now, the way we're going to get to our revelation is we're going to look at Revelation. <laughs> so, we're in the book of Revelation and we're demystifying the book of Revelation, this study that we're doing and so on. And, and in order to get everybody on the same page, by the way, I'm telling you, we're, we're right at the home stretch here. We're sort of taking big chunks right now because we've worked through a lot of the complicated stuff, and now it gets actually quite a bit more simple towards the end here, and it just kind of rolls out, and we're going to be taking wide swaths over the next couple of weeks, and you're going to see how quickly we get. But here's the deal. I want us to just all be on the same page about the timeline, so briefly we're going to go through it. In chapters 4 we, we have, you know, the scene in heaven, but then we get to a timeline. In chapters 6 through 11, I keep saying, are a historical timeline that you don't have to know the Lord to see that it happens. In other words, if you're living in the world and you don't know the Lord and you were writing down the things that happened after they've happened, this is exactly what you would write down exactly as it lay, uh, lays out. So you've got six of seven seals. The seventh is not there. That will become important in a moment. But you've got seals that are being broken, and there's increasing calamities that are happening upon the, on the earth in chapter 6. Then in chapter 7, there's an interlude, a pause before the seventh seal's broken. And in that moment of time, 144,000 Jews are sealed, and the Christians are raptured. And remember what's happened here is, is that technically at the time of Jesus' death, the end of the Jewish age, but really as a practical matter, it happens 40 years later, 70 A.D., the temple is destroyed, Jerusalem is destroyed, there is no more Jewish nation. That's the end of the Jewish timeline, or at least the pause button, that has taken place since Abraham was chosen to reveal God to the world, right? So it goes right up until that moment, and then you have a a pause in the Jewish timeline, and what you pick up with is the church age, and that's the age in which we're living right now. Okay? And that goes until a certain place, and you're going to see it here in one second. And in fact, it's right here. 144,000 Jews are sealed and Christians are raptured. The church age ends when Christians are raptured out. Now it's that Jewish timeline picking up again. Okay? And technically it'll pick up even more so in one second. You'll see. But in chapters 8 and 9, now you've got the trumpets. Once again, look at that. You've got six of the seven trumpets, but then again, there's an interlude... And this interlude has to do with this thing that happens here, the seventh trumpet, and then there's something that happens in the middle. It's not really an interlude. It's just more of what happens. And this is Daniel's 70th week. Now, remember, Daniel prophesies 600 years before Jesus Christ is, right? Or I guess he was always, but you get my point, before he's on earth. And the point is he prophesies, and if you take his prophecy and work the first 69 into 70, 70 weeks, which is the way that he writes it, you get right to Jesus's death on the cross right there and then what happens is the pause we've been talking about and then at some point in time the 70th week the final seven-year period picks up okay I do wanna say something here don't don't look at these I'm doing sequencing here I'm just doing it I'm not doing it relative to how long it is we don't know how long the trumpets are and the seals are we don't know how long they take but the point is they probably take longer than that seven-year period probably a longer rolling out so i'm just keeping it in order of sequencing to where i can get all the words up there this is not okay don't take the relative size to be how long relatively all right but you got seven-year period here 70th week in chapters 10 and 11 you get the temple that's being rebuilt and then the midpoint here is really critical because remember christians are raptured here during this trumpet period of time people are getting saved because there's this thing that God is doing, is he's always saving, we're going to talk about it in a second. But at the midpoint of the three and a half years here, that's where the Jews come en masse. This is where the veil is lifted again, and the Jewish people see the two witnesses killed, and the pattern of Christ, and so on, and this is where they come into belief too. So now you've got the people that are being saved in here, and you've got the believers, but then the Antichrist goes after them, and the believers are being martyred again, just like they were over here, when the Christians, right before they got raptured, where they were being martyred, okay? And so and that's great tribulation over here, and we can go into that some other time. But bottom line is, is you get the believers being killed, 10th and 11. And, and so six through 11 is this timeline that you could see as if you were writing a history book, period. But then what happens is, in chapters 12, or 11 and 12, or 12 and 13, oh, sorry, seventh trumpet. okay? See so remember six of the seventh, Seventh trumpet, this is Jesus' return. Okay, there's only one more thing that's going to happen before new heaven and new earth so there we go right there now in chapters 12 and 13 what happens is God does this he's sort he's been talking this historical timeline but then he says I I wanna take you behind the curtain so to speak I wanna take you to the spiritual that's been influencing the physical the practical so what he does is in chapters 12 and 13 he goes all the way back to the very beginning you know, and, and to Christ's birth and all that. And chapters 12 and 13 are talking about spiritually what's happening behind the scenes. Okay? So that's what's happening here, and it's like you're getting a look behind. Now in chapter 14, for the first time he melds the spiritual and the physical in that we get a first, second, and third angel. Now I know that this is awkward, but it's as good as I can do. Uh, what I want you to see is, you see, this is a timeline up here, and we're still on this timeline, but there's a thing that happens right before Jesus returns. And we're finding out about it now. He's filling in details of stuff. He's told us 6 through 11 the, the events, and now he's going to start filling in some details. And we're going to get a lot of that in the next few weeks. So we get first, second, and third angels. And remember, these are angels that people on earth can see. Now, again, I just this is the most important principle if we're going to understand the revelation for today. Okay? The seals, the trumpets, these three angels, the, the bowls, here's what it is. It's an ever-increasing attempt by God to get people to believe. That's why it's all happening. Why doesn't, you know, it's over, it's done, everybody's made their choice, it's it. But here's what God says. The saints that have, been, that have been martyred stand before the Lord and say, How much longer? This was pretty hard. How much longer, Lord? And the Lord's response was, Not until the final one. So what we've got is we've got this, the reason why more and more calamity, the reason why seals and then trumpets and then angels and then bowls, the reason why all this happens is because, think about it, here's the pattern we're at the very end of the book right now but at the very beginning of the book we have what? Exodus. We have Genesis first but the second book is Exodus. And the pattern of Exodus is the pattern that's gonna be played out in more fullness in the end. Now what's the pattern of Exodus? God is trying to tell a person, Pharaoh, let my people go. You've made them slaves, I'm gonna free them, let them go. And he does a miracle, God does a miracle, and they mimic it so Pharaoh doesn't believe, so he does another miracle, and they mimic it so he doesn't believe. But then he starts doing miracles that Pharaoh cannot do and his magicians cannot do, right? And you remember what happens? Every time that God does another one of these miracles, it's ever bigger, right? But every time he does a bigger one, Pharaoh goes, oh, wow, I really need to let him go. But then he thinks about it a little bit, his heart is hard, and the hardness of his heart gets revealed and he says no i'm not going to let him go to the point of stupidity right to the point that the firstborn in all of israel or all of egypt dies and none of the firstborn to the point that it's going dark in all the land of egypt but not in israel at what point in time you would you would think he would wake up at some point wouldn't you <laughs> wow you know the way that this is going <laughs> you'd think he would do that and instead what he does is all the way to the red sea right where the armies, the, the Jewish people have gone through on dry land on the Red Sea and, and the armies go in and they're drowned. Okay, And that creates another epic which by the way is new heaven and new earth. Right, That's the pattern again. Now you're on the other side. The, the, the enemy can't get you anymore. There's a great gulf between what was and what is. See? So this is the pattern. You've got to keep Exodus in mind in order to understand what God's doing in Revelation. Because what he's doing, just like there, Pharaoh is the archetype for all people which there are lots of them who will never believe no matter what and God is proving it by having the no matter what happen there's a no matter what and a no matter what and a no matter what and a what and a what and a what and what and it gets, gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and we're gonna see today the links to which it goes to where these people simply will not believe okay so that's what God's doing by Continuing to roll these things out. Do you understand? He's never overcoming free will until the very end when he shows up, it's all over, and then he overcomes free will. Okay? But he's always orchestrating it in this incredibly finely tuned way. We're not just for the bell curve of humanity, and there's some people that don't fit in this. Every single individual that is alive at this point in time and on earth is going to be having these moments like Pharaoh where their eyes are once again, they're being, they're being just brought into a clarity that they will not hold on to, a revelation that they will not keep because they're not going to ever follow God, no matter what, okay? So that's the pattern. And that's chapter 14, and that's how far we've gotten. And today we're going to do 15 and 16. And don't worry, we're flying a little high, so it won't take that long. But the bottom line is, is here's chapter 15, and we're not going to do it first. That's why I don't have anything in it yet. What we're going to do first is actually chapter 16, which is the bowls. And the reason why is because I want to correlate it with seals and trumpets and these angels. And I want you to see again this continual effort of God to get people to receive him. So that's where we are and this is chapter 16 I heard a mighty voice from the temple say the seven angels we're gonna look at what that is in 15 when we come back go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath so the first angel left the temple poured out his bowl on the earth horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped the statue now first of all you remember one of the three angels said that what happened he said repent And if you don't, if you keep the mark, if you continue to choose to go after the beast and the Antichrist and and Satan, then there will be these sores that will come upon you. (laughs) So people had an opportunity to say, ooh, I don't want sores, I'm going to worship God. But they didn't. And then the sores came upon them. And you would think that that would be a moment where they would say, wow, he said it was going to happen and now it happened. You know what? They actually do get that. We're going to see that in a second. And that's what makes their rebellion, their resistance, their refusal to follow God so complete. Because what happens is here, look at the first angel said, now by the way, sores, what does that remind you of? Sores breaking out on people? Exodus. See? This is the stuff. And in fact, you'll see it even more this time. Watch this. Then the second angel poured out blood on the sea and it became like what? Remember that miracle in Exodus? Became like blood of a corpse and everything in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out in his bowl the rivers and the springs, and they became blood, like the Nile became blood. See? It's the pattern is playing out. By the way, intentionally, trust me, at this point in time, with all the things that have been happening in the world and all the people dying and and miracles taking place and all of these things that are taking place, people are reading scripture. They're reading the Bible. They know about Exodus. They know about the pattern, and God is bringing the pattern to the world so that it will say, wow, God is doing this. And in fact, that's exactly what they come to know, as we'll see. I heard another angel had authority over the water saying, now this is a, this is a little interlude on God's part. Look, look what he does. He's already done two really terrible things. Okay? And now he's saying, it's just to do it. It's more than just just it's actually necessary, but watch. You are, a, you are just, O Holy One, who is just and who always was, because you have sent these judgments since they shed the blood of your holy people. Remember what we've been talking about? In the seals, the Great Tribulation, all the Christians being martyred. Not every single one, but so many Christians being martyred. And then we have it in the trumpets, we have believers being martyred. And then we have it in the 70th week, where Jewish believers and other believers are being martyred. We have a whole lot of people that are being killed. And he's saying that what you're doing, God, is just because of what people have been doing. But understand something. It's not just God saying, you did a bad thing, so I'm going to do a bad thing to you. That's not what it's about. The reason why God takes a moment here and proclaims his justice, even from heaven, I heard a voice from the altar saying, yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. The reason why God does that is because he's trying to make a point. He's not just saying that it's just. He's pointing out that it's necessary. If a person will go through everything that God is going to have them go through and will not only not come to God, but will continue to curse him, will in fact array in battle against him, as we will see. If that's what a person will do, what do you think that person would be like if God just by grace just said, I'm just going to let him into heaven anyway? What is heaven like filled with a whole bunch of people that are like that? It's not heaven anymore. It's like here. Only at this point in time, see, there's a veil over a lot of people's hearts, and they don't know the depths. God is stripping away that veil so that people do come to know the depths of what their real nature, their real choice, their real position towards God is. So this is what we've got here. And then he comes back, the fourth angel poured out his bowl in the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with his fire. Remember that one? Everyone was burned by the blast of the heat. They cursed the name of God who had control over all these plagues. Read that. The next one will say it even more clearly. They're not, they don't, they're not wondering whether there's a God anymore. They've seen way too much stuff. They know there's a God. And they're cursing him. what he's doing they did not repent of their sins and turn to god and give him glory you see what i'm saying this is that this you see what god is communicating what he's emphasizing each time he rolls one out he's rolling out i'm trying to get them to repent and the the inference is there are some that actually are it might only be a few but even if it's one that's enough because god is going to go until he gets every single one And so in this one here, look, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and the kingdom was plunged into darkness. Remember that one from Exodus? His subjects ground their teeth in anguish. They cursed the God of heaven for their pains and the sores, but they did not repent of their evil deeds and turned to God. See, it's coming back over and over. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies towards the west without hindrance. This is Armageddon. I, see, I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. That's an that's a, uh, imagery, the frogs you know, in, in uh, Egypt. That was something that they worship, but they were actually evil and so on. But anyway, that's the imagery here. They leap from the mouths of the dragon. There's a word that's going forth. The beast and the false prophet. The demonic spirits who work miracles so as to deceive. They go to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord. Understand what's happening here. People are arraying themselves to go to battle against the God who created not just the earth, but the universe, (laughs) everything there is. I mean, this is the—I mean, the, the, the depths of the stupidity, the depths of the obstinance, of the refusal, is extraordinary here. They have to go on the great day, the judgment day of God Almighty. Now, this is the timeline. And see, here's Armageddon. Jesus returns, and then there's Armageddon. And all of these things have happened before that, and then it's that. Now, do you understand something? When Armageddon happens, it's just really important for us. It'll become more important, too, as we go. Do you understand? It's not like you see, like, in Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings, or some movie or something. It's not like, you know, there's an army coming with Christ. But it's not like we then engage in battle with the people of the world. There's no scene where we are doing sword play with somebody who doesn't know God. <laughs> and maybe some Christians are dying? Oh no, because we always win. So, okay, but the Christians are killing. There's no scene where the Christians are killing non Christians. Do you understand that? There is no scene like that. What instead happens, as we'll see in a few weeks, when Christ shows up, there's the sword of his mouth, the same God who said in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that word that said, In the beginning was God, and he said, let there be light. With a word, he spoke into existence all that was. He will speak to those that are arrayed against him, and they will be vanquished. (laughs) It's not a battle. It's not like, who's going to (laughs) win? Okay? It's the creator of everything against people that are just so hard in their hearts that they would dare to do battle with the God who made everything. But there it is. By the way, after that, the new heaven and the new earth. Give you a little hope. That's what we're getting to in a few weeks. Okay. So look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me and who keep their clothing ready so they'll not have to walk around naked and ashamed. Here's what he's saying. There are going to be some believers that are going through those last bowls. And they've been through seals, and they've been through trumpets, and they've been through all kinds of martyrdoms, and they've been through all kinds of things. And here's what God is saying. Persevere to the very end. I know how tough this is. You think it's never going to end. It's going to end suddenly, unexpectedly. See? To you, you're living in the middle of it. It feels like it's never going to end. We're going to come back to it in a couple of weeks, but we did the numbers thing And we showed the 1290, and then there was another 45 days, and so on. And and I mean, it literally is to the day, God tells us, how much longer. And what he's trying to say is, he's saying, look, hang in there. Okay, I am coming. And then he says, the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place in Hebrew named Armageddon. Okay. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl in the air, and a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple, saying, it's finished. That seventh bowl is finished. This Jesus coming again. And what's it look like when he comes again? Then the thunder crashed and rolled. The lightning flashed. A great earthquake struck. The worst since people were placed on the earth. The great city of Babylon, as we're going to look at this next week, split into three sections. The cities of many nations fell into heaps of rubble. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins, and he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island disappeared, and all the mountains were leveled, and there was a terrible hellstorm. Hellstorms weighing as much as 75 pounds, falling from the sky onto the people below. They cursed God because of the terrible plague and of the hellstorm. If God has been trying to get you to repent, trying to get you to repent, trying to get you to repent, and even at this last moment when you're arrayed for battle, <laughs> and now you're just being devastated, and you're still not willing to say, I worship you. <laughs> you're still going to curse him instead. You see, the, you see the depths of resistance? Now, Here's here's why I've stressed this so much and why I wanted to go to 16. The seals, the trumpets, the angels, the bowls, and a whole lot of other stuff. This is God in the most finite, intimate, careful manner coming to every person individually and trying to get them to repent, trying to get them to turn to him, to receive him, to choose him. Intimate court. think about that. To the entire world, every single individual having this opportunity to choose God. How finely tuned do you think God is in the things that he can do? How intimate in the affairs of every, I mean, we're all gonna be going through different circumstances in a way, right? And yet to every single person, there's going to be this effort to get to him, effort to get to him. Effort to get to him, effort to get to him, effort to get to him. Now understand something. That is not just how God is in the end. It's not like God made everything, the watchmaker argument, God made everything and he wound it up and now it's just playing out and at the end God's going to get really involved. As much as God is involved in every single person's life over and over and over again, then. He's involved in our lives right now to that degree. This is why the scriptures can say something like this. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Those are called according to his purpose. In fact, take it deeper. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Remember who this is? This is Joseph. This is um, Jacob, who's Abraham. Abraham's 2,000 years before Christ. Uh, bottom line, Jacob is his grandson. Jacob has 12 kids. There's Joseph. Joseph is this beloved son of Jacob. The other brothers don't think that that's chill. And so they throw him in a hole in order to die. And then one of them says, you know what, let's sell him to the slave trader instead. He goes down into Egypt. Now, he gets, he gets thrown into a hole to be killed by his brothers. That's sort of like a bummer, right? But then he gets sold in a slave trade. I mean, would you rather die or get sold for slavery for the rest of your life? I don't know. Tough call, right? You know what I mean? And then when he goes into slavery, he ends up getting accused by a wife wrongly and gets thrown in prison. How many bad things happened to Joseph? And you know what it was all for? so that he could, in prison, end up becoming the second most important person in all the kingdom of Egypt to the point that he stores up goods because of a vision that God says stores up goods that end up saving the very brothers that wanted to kill him. See that? God's working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And it's not just that God did that in Joseph's life. This is exactly what God is doing in every one of our lives. That's why it says in the first one, all things work together for good for Joseph and people like him that are doing really important things. But for the rest of you, it ain't really working out like that. Do you see it? No, God's working the same way in every person's life. What Satan meant for evil, what you think is evil, what you think has happened to you, when it happened and you said, why didn't you meet me? Why didn't you save me? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? What you have to understand is God is as intimately in control of that moment as every other thing he does. Some of you will remember that I was, I've told this this story about a vision that I had. I was in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and I was, I was working in, in the room off of the bedroom, and I was working, and it was time for lunch, and so I went out and made myself a sandwich and flipped on the TV just to kind of catch some news. The TV station happened to be on one of these morning-type talk shows, and, which I hate. I don't know why I hate them so bad, but I just hate them. Uh, uh, I could go into that, but anyway. But, but the point is, it, it, there was a woman that was talking to the interview, and I can't remember the interviewer. It was like an Oprah-type show, but it wasn't Oprah, I don't think. It might have been. Uh, But the point is, this person was talking to this person, and I only heard this person talking for just, I'm, we're talking six, seven seconds. And I heard him saying something about heaven, and I instantly knew, without even hearing enough to know what they were saying, I instantly knew that what that person was talking about was heaven, because I heard that part, but that they didn't know what they were talking about. And later on, I went back and looked up who the person was, and indeed, it's a deception. They, it wasn't about Bible and God. It was about some other th- new agey type thing. But the point is, this per- I instantly knew that this person didn't know what they were talking about. But now I'm looking like this. I'm sitting on a couch, and then there's a, t- a table in front of me, and then there's a TV. And, I'm look- and then there's a wall and a window over here. And this is what I'm seeing, and I'm looking at this thing. And what happens is it's, it's, it's as if God came in this way and you know like if there was like a sheet of rubbery type fabric so that his hands could come across And I didn't see his hands but it was like I knew that they were hands and they came across and they reached into this rubbery type sheet and they pulled it back like this so they opened it up so it was stretched to top to bottom and the image looked remarkably like that image right there only the grass was longer and the hills were slightly different but it was very close to that kind of an image and. When I saw that image, what I what I knew, as soon as I saw it, what I knew was, how many blades of grass do you think there are in that picture? Because it was like that, a huge field of grass. And what I but it was longer, and that's important because what I knew was the length of every blade of grass, the color of it, the bent of it, the tilt of it, the roots everything about every single blade of grass was willed to be that way it wasn't that God made it and then it just kind of plays out I mean you, you grow grass right and it just grows it wasn't that spirit at all the spirit was exactly the opposite of it was if I stop willing it to be it stops being and I will it exactly to be this way and that's what it is and as soon as I had that revelation the next thing that happened to me was I suddenly realized everybody on earth in animals included taking breaths that was what was in my heart and what I realized was is the next breath that every person takes is ordained God says you get one more you get one more, you get one more, you get one more. And it's not you get 10 more because i got to take care of the other ones. It was you get one more. The next breath is willed by him. Now, there's a lot to what I'm saying right now, and there's other things I would say if I was going in deeply to this, but what I want you to see right now is one side of a paradox. There is another side, free will and so on. But I want you to see the truth of one side of the paradox, and that truth is the sovereignty of God is finely, finely, finely tuned. By the way, God has left us an illustration of this in nature itself. There are scientists that think about how to think about things. And what they do is is that they say, you know what we're going to do is, we're going to do this. How big is the universe? and then they say how how big is that compared to what we can imagine it to be and they take and they study what's the most that any person can imagine and actually imagine it to the point that you kind of understand it what's the largest that you can understand and then how much bigger is the universe than the most that you can understand and it turns out that the universe is 6 times larger than what we can even imagine now that's majestic that's massive right But here's what's fascinating about that. Then they said, gee, I wonder what the smallest a person can think is. And they thought about it. And they they went, this is the smallest that a person can perceive and actually have some understanding of how small it actually is. Now how much smaller is the world than that? It turned out to be eight times. And here's what I get from that. As majestic as God is, six times larger than you can ever even begin to imagine. He's even more intimate. He's even more detailed. He's even more fine. See that? Do you think that this is what Jesus was trying to communicate when he says this? Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent? But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. Does that mean that they've been counted as in wherever they were? Does that mean that he ordained how many there were? And if he ordained however many there were, don't be mad at him that it wasn't as many as you'd have hoped or want, okay? But even the hairs of your head have all been are known. Let me put it that way for the paraphrase. That's how detailed he is. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Is that what God's trying to communicate the intimacy the intricacy the the detail with which he holds you and orchestrates the things of your life for a purpose all things working together for good see it now I if I had any brains I'd stop right now but I don't so but would you hang in there with me because if you'll let me go just a few more minutes I'm going to take that and blow that out of the water with what God does in chapter 15. Watch this. I I, I was thinking about, should I do this in two sermons? And this is short, and I didn't think it would, and I just didn't want to lose because I want us to have in our minds the intimacy, the care, the detail with which God has us. And then I want us to see the nature of the God that has us. Because watch this. Chapter 15, then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Where is he looking now? In heaven. Okay, so he's seeing a scene. Remember in chapter 4, before all this happened, he saw, I went to heaven and I saw a scene. He's seeing the same scene which we saw at the beginning of the revelations in Revelation, and now we're getting it at the end again. And so what he does is, I saw, a great, uh, I saw another marvelous event of great significance, And where I want to show you this is, this is chapter 15, so it's happening right before Jesus comes, and it's before the bulls, okay? Now, seven angels holding seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion, okay? Okay? I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire. Remember that from chapter 4? A glass sea, and that sea is about humanity and so on, which is exactly where he goes when he says, On it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps that God had given them. They were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God. What's the song of Moses? Exodus. When they're on the other side of the red sea the new reality that has now taken place the victory that is that is had nothing can get them from the old anymore the the army's been drowned they've been killed as is happening right now in these in this final judgment armageddon and it's a new reality they're on a different shore that's the pattern it's the song of Moses, the victory that happens when that happens. And the song of Moses now becomes the song of the Lamb. This is the Christians who are singing the song that they sang, only greater because it's the multiple fulfillment, the bigger fulfillment of all of this. See it? And what do we sing? Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. See, this song of victory. Now, then i looked and i saw the temple in heaven remember there's a tabernacle that was built as according to the pattern of heaven on the earth moses built it and then 400 years later david builds it or solomon actually david designs it solomon builds a temple and again it's according to the pattern that god had revealed so it's talking about a heavenly type it's a type for what was in heaven so, this is the heavenly temple. God's tabernacle, his temple, his tabernacle was thrown wide open. Remember, the temple is always closed off, veiled. But now it's wide open for everyone to see. The seven angels who were holding the seven plagues came out of the temple. From where? From God's presence. They were clothed in spotless white linen with gold sashes across their chest. Then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God. These are the bowls who lives forever and ever. Now, the temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power. No one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completed pouring out the seven plagues. The temple was filled with smoke. What does that remind you of? What? It's, it's good, but, but I mean directly. Where is there a time when the temple or the tabernacle is filled with smoke and the priest can't stand to do it? It's, it's with the tabernacle building with Moses. It happens. God shows up and the priests fall down and can no longer minister because God is there. It's God's place. It's God's thing. And then when they build the temple, the same thing happens. And in fact, let me just read you that one. When Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and the sacrifice, and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple because of the the Lord, because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down, the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell face down on the ground and worshiped and praised the Lord. See this? They couldn't enter because the glory of the Lord filled it build the temple. They couldn't stand a minister anymore. Now, remember what we've got here. We've got that image, and then we've got this thought here. The temple is filled with smoke, and no one can enter it. You know what's being communicated here? Chalem. Hebrew word from which we get the English word, harem. Now, don't go too weird on me there, okay? Here's what harem means. This is the tough guy's harem the girls the king the tribal leader whatever this is the concubines of his and what happens if you touch one of them you're dead okay this is his now here's why that word's so important when the israelites are going in and taking the land when god is bringing them into the land the battle is said over and over to be Haram. what exactly did the israelites do when they took jericho Jericho, you understand, is a fortified city, an outpost. So it's got especially thick walls, and it is impervious, essentially, to attack. That's, you know, so you can have an outpost, right? And what did they do to win it? They walked around it for seven days, and then they shouted and blew a, temple, or blew a trumpet, and the whole thing falls. And then they take every person in there and don't lose one of their own. That's harem. Now, the next battle they do, they don't keep harem, and they lose some of their people. But then from then on, they understand, oh, wow, this is the Lord's battle. He's the one that's doing it. God is taking it all on himself. We're not losing anybody. They're losing everybody. It's harem. No one could enter the temple until what? until God's final judgment was being done. Here's what he's saying. Remember earlier I said there's no scene where the Christians are down there doing battles with non-believers and poking them with swords. It's not our battle. We're following Christ. But it's His battle. Alone. Now, here's where I want to, here's what I'm, God, let it be a revelation. Here's what's being said here. God is judging the world in the final time. This is a very hard thing. And God takes all the hard thing on himself. We don't even get to go in. God takes all the hard things on himself. Don't believe me? God takes all the hard things on himself. This is his stake in the ground. That's his stake in the ground. And he's trying to communicate for every single person for all time the kind of God that he is. I take all the hard stuff on myself. It's mine. It's my battle. Wait a minute, Kurt. Tough stuff happens to me too. Yes, it does. You know how? Dribbled out in little tiny drops, which almost crush us. But it's little tiny drops compared to what could be released unto you. Little tiny drops so as to do what for you? To slap you on the wrist and to get you, you know, pay you back for what you did bad? No, to prune. Whom he loves, he prunes. He's trying to increase every person. The little tiny drops that he's letting drip through, the finances, the health, the relationships, the things like this, the little tiny drops that are getting through in your life, he has finely tuned and orchestrated them for your good. To teach you, to prune you, to lift you, to change you. To bring you into the understanding of the God who takes it all on himself. You see it? Here's the part that we're missing The the women are about to do a study, Francis Chan on the Holy Spirit. He's going to talk a lot about the empowerment of the Spirit. But do always understand the precious. By the way, that's an incredible study. I I know a lot of women are signing up for it. This is awesome. I think God's going to use it mightily. But understand the fullness of the Spirit, too. Because you see, Jesus says, I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate, a counselor, a helper, who's never going to leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who does what? What? See, we get into a hard time and we turn to our own understanding and we cannot understand what it is and we get into fear and we get into angst and we get into worry and we get into not trusting Him and we get into all these things and the Holy Spirit is inside of us trying to say, No, 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 listen to me. Listen to me. I want to show you the God who's got it all and this is Him and it's okay. Don't despair. Don't quit on me. Don't quit early. I'm coming I have delivered in the way that you wanted I'm just doing it in a way that is going to bless you see it because in the end aren't two sparrows sold for a penny yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent even the hairs of your head have all been counted so don't be afraid. Don't not trust him. Don't quit. Don't freak. Don't go somewhere else, because you're, you're worth much more to God than a flock of sparrows, <laughs> each of us individually. So, Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, your congregation, your people come before you right now and having a stake being driven into the fears that maybe you're not in control, that maybe you don't care, that maybe that one escaped you somehow.